morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back, villagers. Welcome back to another episode of Village Health. We thank you for stopping by and listening to us. And today's topic, we are going to discuss hospice care. There's a misconception about hospice. That term hospice, what does it really mean? What type of care do you really receive when you're under hospice? Well, actually, we're going to find out. Today, we have a special guest. Her name is Patty, and she has been a hospice care consultant for over 10 years. I say she's an expert in her field. So she has some information she would like to share with us, and I can't wait to hear what she has to say as well as you. So sit back, relax, and listen right after this. So Patty, when, you know, when you and I used to work together, and then, you know, we part our ways. I went in one direction and you went up into hospice. What made uh-huh. you go into hospice? You know, it was one of those things where, you know, I've always been in the customer service industry, you know. Yeah. So, you know, you and I worked with, um, well, I worked with passengers, you know, when I was a flight attendant. And then we worked with patients um, when we were with Apria. And so I've always been driven to help you know, people. And when Janine had told me that she had the opportunity that opened up, um, for our company, um, I just thought it was a great opportunity to get back into, um, working with patients and families again. All right. So, you know, there's a misconception, uh, about hospice. Yeah. So what is it that you heard prior to getting well, into hospice and and what it is, what it, what it truly is right now. Well, here's the sad thing about it. I heard, you know, from family members that, you know, when someone's dying, you know, imminently dying, that you call in hospice. And that's not what hospice is all about. Hospice is there um, when someone has a life-threatening illness that no curative treatment is available. Um, it usually two doctors have to say they have six months or less. And so a lot of people don't realize that you can have this benefit at six months. And sometimes that's what qualifies you. But as you know, we've had patients on service for longer than six months because none of us have a crystal ball. Um, So we've had patients on service for, I've had one patient was on service for almost two years because she kept meeting the criteria of hospice. So you can be on hospice indefinitely. Um, as long as you continue to meet the criteria. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is that they feel like when someone's imminently dying, you know, taking their last breath, that's when you need hospice. And that couldn't be further, you know, you know, wrong. You know, that's the misconception. So tell me a little bit about uh, palliative care, because I I think that's like a transition into hospice, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe the other way around. yeah. yeah, no, it is like palliative care. You know, that's not my realm. Um, you know, I deal with palliative care in, 
my facilities with my nurse practitioners. Mm -hmm. But usually palliative care is still you have a life-threatening illness, but it's more like 12 months or more, you know, and you're still looking for treatment for symptom management. So other options that can keep you, um, you know, stronger and still able to have, you know, your daily activities and stuff like that. Um, you know, they're focusing on uh, your disease and how they can help you with managing any symptoms that you're helping. Okay. So I know a lot of people out there, especially our listeners, my listeners, they always, they I know they're wondering and have the same questions that I have is, mm-hmm. you know, when your relative is in a hospital or let's say they're in a skilled nursing facility, mm-hmm. how do they qualify for hospice? So usually um, it's two doctors that have to say that if the disease takes its natural progression, um, they don't see that person here six months or less. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a bunch of qualifications. You know, we have prognostic indicators that we use um, for people on all like congestive heart failure, cancer, um, COPD, dementia. Um, There's a a lot of, you know, criteria that we have to look for in order to make, you know, that a patient is appropriate for hospice. Um, and do you want to know when, like when they can make the referral or, um, yeah. So, yeah. So when can they make the referral? Is it like one doctor states or they have a PCP, they have a primary care physician and say, Hey, yeah, this patient's ready for hospice. And yep. mm -hmm. Yep. All they need is one doctor and then our doctor can be the second doctor. So if a doctor wants to put in a referral for a hospice patient, they just write an order for hospice eval. Um, and so that way the nurse comes out, we have an admission nurse that comes out and does the evaluation. Um, and if the other doctor agrees and they meet the qualifications, then they are enrolled into our program. Okay. And then how often, um, so let's say if I have a loved one in a hospital and they Mm -hmm. qualify for hospice and I want to bring them home, how does that process work? So what usually happens when a patient's in the hospital, um, usually the social worker or the case manager at the hospital makes that referral to the hospice provider. And then once that um, referral is made, then usually the patient and the family member meets with the hospice care consultant. Um, They talk about all the services that we could provide in the home. Um, And then once the patient gets discharged to home, we send, we make sure that we are in charge of all their medical equipment um, with hospice. All your durable medical equipment is covered. And so we make sure that that's all set up prior to the patient getting discharged. And then when the patient gets home, they have the admission nurse comes out, does the evaluation, make sure that the patient is appropriate, signs the necessary paperwork. And then the next day, my team starts. Okay. And what about like um, medications and all? So yeah, so Mm -hmm. yeah, hospice provides all the medications that are pertaining to the hospice diagnosis. Um, The medications that do not pertain to the hospice diagnosis is um, the patient and family are responsible for. So it's basically, say it's like a copay if they were getting, say their cholesterol medication, that they would still pay their copay for that. 
And that's what the admission nurse does when she goes out on the admission. She goes over all the medications that the patient is on and will let them know at the at that time what hospice is going to be responsible for. Okay. And um, because I remember my dad went through hospice and they, the company offered like music therapy or Mm -hmm. a chaplain. Um, They had something called namaste. Mm -hmm. So namaste is like, you know, sensory um, rehab, a sensory, what what is that again? For memory. We used to do that, but Mm -hmm. yeah, we, we don't do that anymore. It's like bringing all the senses, like, we would have lotions, you know, um, things that remind it's more for the, um, dementia and Alzheimer's patients. So a lot of people, you know, in our, when our parents' generation, remember they used to like Gina Tay and old spice and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. So namaste was a way to bring back sense that would, the patients would remember, you know, was through, uh, sensory, you know, um, lighting was good. Um, Lotion was good. Um, scents were good. So that was, um, unfortunately, you know, um, we haven't, we haven't been able to do that lately. So, um, and that was something that the hospice aides would be, um, that was their goal when they went in, provide that service. And sometimes the, um, social workers or chaplains could help out with that as well. Okay. And I understand you, have like a uh, a veteran like program that mm-hmm. guys really emphasize on. Yeah, we do. We we like um, we have a veteran. We honor veterans program, which is amazing. Um, you know, we'll do services for anywhere actually facilities. Um, I mean, nursing facilities, assisted livings um, that we've gone in and um, presented um, veterans with their certificate. And we also provide them with a pen, um, thanking them for their services that, that they have provided for our country. Um, so it's a really, really nice service. And we usually have music therapy in, involved um, so they can play, you know, music during the whole ceremony. And everyone really, really enjoys it. So, to, I mean, the patients get a kick out of it, too. Oh, okay. Patty, Patty, tell me a story about a time that, you were, went in to interview a family and it was like a a difficult situation where they probably didn't agree. What what happened? Um, well, I tell you, the most difficult um, family meeting that I, I have, and I will never forget this, is when I was at Johns Hopkins Hospital and I was meeting with um, a 36-year-old female who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And she was only given um, six months to live. And she had been fighting this battle for about six years. And the family just did not want to give up because they felt like she was a fighter. And they thought that she was going to fight through this. And it was just really sad to see because you could tell in her eyes, too, that she was a fighter and that she didn't want to give up. But unfortunately, the disease was taking over and she really didn't have a chance. And that's just was the hardest thing is getting people to understand that you matter, you can fight as much as you fight. And I think it's great, but you know, at some point, um, you know, it's, it's, 
unfortunately, you know, it's inevitable that, you know, the disease is going to take over. And I think she wanted to live because she had a, um, a 10 year old daughter. Wow. Uh, her name was Holly. And uh, one of her goals was to, uh, live through Christmas, actually new year's. And we got her home Christmas Eve and she ended up dying the day, six days later after new year's Eve. So I was so glad that we were able to make her wish. I mean, cause the hospital didn't think that she was going to make it in the ambulance ride home. They thought that she would definitely um, pass, but we were able to get her home, get her comfortable. And she was able to have one more Christmas and one more new year's celebration with her family. So that by far was probably the hardest conversation that I had to have with a family because, you know, usually you have these conversations with people that are, have had a good life, you know, they're, in their late seventies, eighties, nineties, a hundred, you know, and then when you have someone young like that, it just, it really, it really hits home. Yeah. Um, death has no time or mm-hmm. date on it. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's happening, you know, in this world today. Yep. And I will tell you, you know, like everybody and, you know, um, we have a, Terry was somebody that did a lot of our education and she said, you know, we're all going to die and it's, it's how we choose to die. It's, it's our path. We choose it, you know, of, um, how we want to spend the rest of the time that we have, if we're given, you know, a limited amount of time and know that we have like a life limiting, you know, disease. So I think that's something to say. So a lot of people, ask, you know, how do you want to die? And a lot of people say on the beach with my family, you know? Yeah, I can understand. Or fall asleep at night, you know? And one of the things too, and I don't know if you're going to ask this, but the biggest gift that anybody could give to a family is having everything in writing, like having an advanced directives, you know, um, a healthcare power of attorney and having all of your, you know, arrangements made, because that's one of the hardest things that we have to deal with when you have a lot of family members in, involved and nobody has an advance directives or power attorney and nobody knows what the wishes are for that, that patient. And when a patient makes their wishes known, it's easier for, it's a gift to a family because they know exactly what they want and the family doesn't have to decide and argue about it. Yeah, that's the experience I had with my dad. He knew exactly mm-hmm. what he wanted, how he wanted things. And, you know, basically, someone has to be in charge. Yeah. They have yeah. to, I mean, there's a lot of people who really doesn't want to take it or they can't handle it. And I can understand that. Sure. But someone yeah. has to be in charge because, yeah. you know, this situation, it's going to come one day. So, sure. um, luckily, my older brother, he took over because he's, you know, the oldest, he's always wanted to take mm-hmm. over everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, he, my dad knew exactly how he wanted things, who's the POA, the advanced director, directives, I'm sorry. And, um, it, yep. you know, it came down, even, even my mom, you know, right now she has a touch of um, dementia, but she knew exactly, you know, what she wanted. She knew, sure. she, you know, she, she's 90 years old now, so she knows mm-hmm. exactly what she wants and how she wants everything done. Um, yep. Luckily, when I took care of my aunt, my mom's sister, 
I was like the the caregiver, basically. And mm-hmm. I was the one on the advanced directives and the POA. So I was the one in charge and I took care of my aunt. And that's how it mm-hmm. went. And, uh, and and she knew exactly. She had everything laid out, including her will. You name it. I mean, she went to the attorney and everything was mapped out exactly how she wanted things. And okay. it came to that time. Yeah. So it made things a lot easier on the family. You sure. know, that, not just not just fit, you know mentally, physically, but financially, because there's some yep. financial uh, hardships can come come along when someone's dying. Honestly. Absolutely. So, uh, the best thing to do, to do is uh, be prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely, and make sure that everybody's on board um, with what the plan is. So it's not like people are a deer in the headlight when something like happens tragically so quickly, and everyone's like, "Oh no!" You know, what do we do? But if it's all in writing, then you you know exactly what that loved one wanted and what to do. So that's why I always call it a gift. Yes. And Patty, while we're speaking about the responsibilities, especially on the financial part, mm-hmm. how, is, how is hospice paid for? Let's say if someone has, you know, what type of insurances and all, of course, if they have Medicare, Medicaid, mm-hmm. you know, explain, explain that to, explain it to me. Yeah, so who pays for hospice? Um, Coverage is provided by Medicare, Medicaid, and by most private insurance providers. So usually what happens when um, a referral comes over with uh, for hospice, they usually send over the face sheet. So what we do is we send it to our finance department, verify the insurance, and just to make sure that everything is covered 100%. And since I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, I have not seen anyone um, that has never been um, covered under any insurances. The only thing I will tell you is some insurances, you might have a deductible. Um, but like I said, you know, we run that and we we let that, you know, patient and family know that this has to be a de- deductible that needs to be, um, you know, paid prior to go- going on services. And usually if they're in the hospital, they're going to meet that deductible. So that doesn't even, um, you know, usually happen. Okay. But yeah, it's, um, and it's, it's an amazing benefit. And I just feel like a lot of people don't realize it's available. And when you tell people that, you know, that it's free, they're like, what, this is free. You know, all these services are free. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's covered under your insurance and it's covered 100%. So I understand it's covered. Let's say if they're at home, what is covered mm-hmm. at home? So all of, all of our services, all of our team members that are coming out, all the medications that are um, under the hospice diagnosis, and then all the medical equipment are covered. So when a patient goes home, hospice, um, the patient, the family and friends are the first support for that patient. And then hospice is supplementary support. So unfortunately, hospice isn't there 24-7 in the home. Um, you know, our team only comes in, you know, um, an hour or two a day. Um, and then there's, you know, they have their set schedules. Um, so if families do need any other resources, more people coming in, um, then they have to go to a private duty company and that's out of pocket because yeah. um, we're not 24-7. Yes, and that can get really expensive. It can. Yeah. yeah, it can. So they they look at, you know, that the family is the first support, um, you know, to take care of the patient and then we're supplementary. Okay. But 
like all of our services are covered 100%. And if they're in a skilled nursing facility, it's covered through their... Yes. Yeah. As long as the room and board is covered, you know, we bill Medicare directly. So Mm -hmm. they have to have a payer source for their room and board. You know, patients that are skilled, um, you know, receiving physical therapy or occupational, some sort of, you know, skilled need, um, you can't be on hospice at the same time. So once they transition into their long-term care, then they're, they're able to have um, hospice at a facility. Okay. Okay. Wow, Patty, you have enlightened me on hospice because, like I said, everybody used to think, you know, mm-hmm. you send them off to die. You take away all of their um, equipment and anything yeah. that keeps them alive. You take it away and they just, you know, die off into the wind. That's not how it really works. No, I'm glad that it isn't. Been, that, that, and one of the things that I always say, Neil, when I meet with my patients and families is that we want to keep you as strong as you can be for as long as you can be. Our goal is to stay on top of your symptoms so you can have that quality of life, you know? And remember how we talked about people getting on service, um, um, later. It's, it's that time that hospice is rushing because they're already in the final stages of end of life. And so then we're trying to like, okay, we're there, you know, trying to manage them. But if you get them on earlier then the team develops a relationship with the patients and their families, and it's just a smoother process for end of life for everyone. Thank you, Patty. I really appreciate everything. Absolutely. This is fun. Villagers. This is Patty. She's uh, a hospice (laughs) care consultant. She is an expert in her field. And now she has clarified and confirmed. And now you understand. And now, you know, thank you, Patty. Thank you. Appreciate you. you. All right. Thank you. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Villagers. I hope you enjoyed our topic of today of hospice. And we thank you for listening. Please. I ask you all, if you have any questions or just your opinions, please go to the website of www.villagershealth.com. Leave a message, send us an email. We would love to hear what you uh, think of us. We'd like to know, give us some advice. Give, tell us some of the things you like and some of the things you don't like. But do that for us so we can start uh, actually the emails. We won't share your email with anyone. Just uh, we'll keep that email in, you know, just between us. But again, this is what we do here at Village Health. We keep everything like a one-on-one conversation. I've been in the medical field for 20, 25, 26 years. And believe me, I love to share information with you all, the caregivers and the patients. Thank you. Thank you all. And have a great morning, afternoon, or evening. Thank you. Until next time, have a great day.